Welcome back to the podcast. Clemson's a clean 8-0. Like his pal Bobby Petrino, Jimbo Fisher's favorite beverage is wine. Rocky Top has hit rock bottom, and life is good. This is your host, Nick. I'm joined today by Ben and Cody, and this is our Florida State Reaction Show. And we'll start with our initial thoughts from the game before we get into a deeper discussion here. Um, Clemson pulled out the victory, first in Tallahassee in a decade. Uh, We beat a hungry, talented team in a hostile environment. Took a comeback to do it. Um, I don't know about you guys, but my ulcer from watching these Clemson games is now approaching the size of a grapefruit. Yeah, I really don't know how much more I can take of this. Uh, Every game seems to be the same way. Really, the Boston College and SC State games all year long uh, were were the only two that were were blowaways where we felt comfortable all game long. Uh, Now, it's not to say that these games aren't incredibly exciting. I can't remember watching so many exciting Clemson football games. Dabo said it best uh, about... Uh, I don't know if it was the end of the game, one of his post-game interviews about we must be one of the highest rated, uh, best watches on TV uh, when college football is on because, man, we put on a show. Yeah, it, it checks out. We're getting the primetime slots. I think we've been announced for ABC at 3.30 game for Pittsburgh. Uh, we're we're going to keep getting those. Um, people are making a lot of money off of Clemson and, and the brand and the, the matchups and the games that we've been able to have. So, And I, I got to say, the Notre Dame game was, was great last year. But there's been two games now, in my opinion, that have trumped that, that one game. So and, and The two games this year? The two games this year, yeah. Well, plus the Alabama game, the national championship game. I wouldn't say it trumped, uh, trumped these games. Well, but would you say it trumped Notre Dame? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, certainly a marquee win. Um, I think this will end up being big for recruiting. We've kind of lost sight of that. There's a lot of goals this season, but... Anytime you go into a big Florida school and get that win, I mean, that that's really big for us, um, considering that we compete for the Knolls um, in a lot of battles. But very big, I think, for our national brand, as you guys mentioned. And, um, you know, overall, it, did, it had the feel of a great Clemson victory, but it was not without our moments of, you know, struggle there. We um, were down eight points at one stage. We only scored three points in the second and third quarters. Um, I wouldn't even call it letting them back in the game. Like it just felt like a different game than the first quarter. So um, we'll we'll dig into that here. You know, as we dig into the, what happened in this game. But um, I, I just think we we ended up getting Florida State's best. You know, they're a very talented team, and we said in the preview that they didn't really have a whole lot to play for in terms of goals for this season. But um, you know that that said, they they showed us their talent on Saturday night and. Pretty well-coached game from from their side also. I mean, um, we could talk a little bit about Jimbo Fisher. We kind of already did in the intro. But um, overall, yeah, it was a great win against a very good football team. Oh, we got their best shot. That was their best all-around game all year. And a lot of credit uh, to Florida State. That was was a really tough game. There's a lot to be said about how how slow they started off, the injuries they've had to overcome. And they honestly haven't lived up to expectations this year, but all that went out the window for this game. They came in prepared. They came in ready to battle, and they gave us a hell of a fight. Yeah, it's easy. It's easy. It's easy to it's easy to look offense because we we think it should be perfect and say why why couldn't we impose our will? Why couldn't we execute on certain plays? And in the moment, that's kind of how it seemed. It seemed like we just couldn't you know establish a run game, red zone efficiency, play con, etc. But when you go back and watch it without that emotional tie, you know when you're you know the next day or whatever, and you can watch the film. It's Florida State's just a they're a damn good team. They have talent all throughout the roster. Uh, you know, from one to eighty-five, they're, they're I would say they're certainly more talented than us, more deep than us. Um, and you saw, like you said, you saw that on display. Um, and we talked about them potentially folding. And it was my my take, not that they had a precedent of folding, but more so that what did they have to play for was my my mindset. And they they've shown a propensity to, in a way, kind of just fold or, or not not bring it to the table. We were up 14 nothing, and they got back in it, and it was all a lot of talent. L- less to do with Clemson in a lot of cases what Florida State did right. I mean, Dalvin Cook is phenomenal. I said it last year. I'll say it again this year. I think he's the best running back in college football. It's been unfortunate for him that he's had to deal with some injuries, but if he isn't plagued by injuries last year, uh, same thing this year, and he's not out of it this year, but he would have been, I think, could have won the Heisman Trophy last year. 
And he still has an opportunity to do it this year if he keeps this up. We'll see about that. I mean, I think, again, it's going to matter how he plays in his remaining games. He's going to have to put up some crazy numbers to, um, to contend for and, that. And they've got three losses. So <clears throat> right. That's not an easy thing to overcome when you're, when you're going for a Heisman. But, you know, look who, who else is up there. Lamar Jackson, obviously. But if he has one or two bad games that they lose to Houston, you could see him start to slip away. Deshaun Watson, while we all agree that he probably should be invited to New York, with all the interceptions, interceptions that he's throwing, I think we can safely say that he may not be the best choice for the Heisman right now. Dalvin Cook could still be in there. Heisman loves a winner, though. I don't, I don't see him getting back in unless he does this, what he did against Clemson in his remaining games. I, I, say, I still say LJ's got some distance with it, and Jabril Peppers coming out of nowhere. Another defensive guy from Michigan. Well, all this to say, kudos to Florida State. We played a hell of a football team, um, and we were lucky to get out of there with a victory. Yeah, I, I think we, we are and were the more complete football team, but we won by three points. And, you know, a few, few different plays go, go one way or the other. We can get into some of the most memorable ones. Um, you know, that's a different result, and we're sitting here questioning, you know, how do we lose to those guys? So, um, again, you know, I feel like they're probably better than what their record shows. They've also, as a, as a football team, they've had a tough schedule to date. They, we talked in the preview show about the high-powered offenses they've faced. Um, you know, listen to the Nolcast, which is Tomahawk Nation's uh, podcast of record over there. Listen to their initial reaction. And they thought even in the loss, this was Florida State's best football game on the year. And I would tend to agree with that. Uh, but certainly the effects of playing all those high-powered offenses is wearing off, mostly in the form of injury, but potentially also just you know, fatigue of this season catching up to, with these guys. Yeah, one thing, I mean, again, this is, aside from the Louisville game, I think this was the most important victory for Clemson this year uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, one, it was on the road. It was our biggest road test in a very, very long time. And Clemson came out victorious. victorious. This, this game um, proves what Dabo says about the team in that they know how to win. They're winners. They just know how to win. They're built to win in these types of situations. I disagreed with him about the NC State game because I think we shot ourselves in the foot over and over again. It never should have been that close. You saw NC State get blown out uh, against Louisville the week after, and they got – I can't remember who they played this weekend, but they got beat. Um, uh, NC State never should have been on the same level as, as us, so that's not the same. But this game against Florida State in their house, Dabo's never won in Tallahassee. And for us to go down by eight uh, in Doak Campbell in the fourth quarter and come back and pull that out, the poise of Deshaun Watson, the clutch uh, catches by Jordan Leggett, the, the fearless running by Wayne Gallman, and then the defense that time and time again at the end comes up with a big stop. Huge win for the Tigers. Yeah, and I think looking at this game, looking at Florida State, it's why you should never use the transitive property across a college football schedule. If, if you look at the Louisville game and look at look at us versus Florida State, we should have beaten them by like 80 points. And that's not how it works. It's not how 18 to 22-year-olds, their minds work. They get motivated. They get up for some games. You know, sometimes they fold. Sometimes they get down. I, I, I tend to agree with you, Ben. I think that was uh, it was a big win. And it was it was not about them giving it to us or them, you know, shooting themselves in the foot. You know, they did kind of implode a little bit there at the end. Uh, but I think it was more about us winning it. No, it was I, about that defensive like line. And, well, talk about them imploding. I think you're alluding to the amount of uh, the two false starts in a row right there at the end of the game that led to the two big sacks to finish it off. What does that say about our defense? They had more penalties than we did in their house, and that is uncommon. Uh, the defense caused multiple false starts when they were uh, about to bring or just showing pressure, and they really disrupted them. You know, we had our fair share of penalties – uh, on the defensive side of the ball and pass interference calls, I think it's shameful for the ACC to – they need to address the officiating situation because we have seen it be terrible all year long. I think it was absolutely terrible in this game, and I think there were bad calls for both teams. And I think, in part, it ruined what was a really good game. It, it slightly ruined parts of a really, really good game. Well, for the, for the imploding, I think I meant I – I mean, of course, yeah, I think they had two false starts there at the end. Um, but also Jimbo Fisher having a hissy fit, just acting like a little girl on the sidelines. And it wasn't actually him that got flagged. It was probably, I think it was one of his assistants um, who was, you know, throwing F-bombs at the referee. But, you know, when the guy that's in charge is, is acting like that, then you're probably more, you know, as an assistant coach, you're going to 
fan the flames a little bit. And that's, that seemed to be what happened. So, I mean, did, just, did you think that was an illegal block? So we can, we start with officiating. Cause I think that's, uh, we, we don't generally talk about this, but it's such an important narrative. I've looked at both the message boards, uh, SB nations writing about, uh, in, in certain cases, yeah, this, you know, that one call just changed everything. Kirk, Kirk Herb street couldn't quit talking about it during the game, which he didn't seem to talk about some other calls that were, you know, didn't go our direction. That, that actual call, I don't think it was all that bad. I think it's, you look at the 10 to 2 hitting some guy in the front from a, the 10 to 2 position. It was questionable the angle he was hit at. Um, going down, they talked about it being incidental contact when he swung his arm at the player's leg. To me, it looked, it looked questionable, I'll say. Maybe not a 50 50, but close. Um, to, to think that it's egregious or you should lose your shit the way that Jimbo Fisher did. That that's egregious. That's showing no poise, no composure, and it and it obviously bleeded through to the rest of his team. But as a Clemson fan, would you agree that you would have been livid had it been had the roles been switched in that situation? Well, luckily for us, the roles were switched about I don't know fifteen minutes later. Was it was that fifteen a, minutes later? A few with, plays later. Yeah, I can't remember if it was the before that or after that with the, the hold the end zone where they missed for it, safety. It was after that, and then well, I know after it, and there was the face mask uh, Deshaun Watson that was very very blatant. So it was the same drive as the the. The call against uh, the illegal block against Florida State, uh, that in part, that 15-yard penalty helped drive them back, I believe. Then there was the blatant misholding the end zone like you were talking about that should have been a safety. That would have been two points, yeah. Yeah, and then the face mask on Deshaun Watson. So, right yeah, you ask, would I have been livid? No, I wasn't. I was thinking about the next play. It's just the hand you're dealt, and that's the way a coach should think about things. Am I wrong to say no. that? As a leader of men, to say, hey, we can't stop, we can't change what just happened but let's don't exacerbate the problem by, you know, flipping our shit. That's the right mentality. I mean, there, there's human element to it. And officials, you know, you, you hope for the best, but these things are going to happen. You have adversity. It's how you react to that. It's keep your head in the game and move on. And, you know, Deshaun sort of, I'll go back to that face mask play. You know, he was, he questioned why the ref didn't throw a flag, but he didn't let that play or that missed call kind of beat him on the next play or the subsequent drive or whatever else. Like, and frankly, I feel like that's what well-coached individuals and kind of composed professionals, you know, or almost professionals do. And, you know, that I, would, I would chalk some of that up to discipline on the Clemson team, possibly even the culture of the program. I think Jimbo, I mean, he was, you saw him in the press conference and he got fined for it. Uh, you know, good scholarship money to people that it's, you know, it's you know, well-used, I guess. But he's still salty. He still can't let it slide even after the fact. And I mean, that's something that... To me, that's classless, and this is not me being a Clemson fan. I've watched Duke basketball and Coach K, you know, sit at the the helm or the the podium there and take losses with so much class year after year. And it's never about the referees. And he's an Army guy, and I think it's it's a thing. Like you said, t- you know, tackle what you can, control what you can. And, uh, and you're talking about 18 to 22 year old guys. When you're a leader of men, you never want to say that the the hand is against you or there's like a corrupt system. It's what you can control, and I think it's it's part of being a leader. Jimbo Fisher, man, that's like, I wasn't crazy about him, but I'm certainly not thrilled about him. No, and I mean, I'll say this for myself. I'm not a leader of men by any stretch of the imagination, but what I will say, Jimbo admitted it himself, that that is not what cost them the game. So if that's not what cost you the game, why are you dwelling on it? Why are you continuing to bring it up and ask for a fine? I mean, maybe there's some gamesmanship here. Maybe he's thinking, let's uh, take, take people's focus and attention off of the fact that Maybe there's a changing of the guard at the top of the ACC Atlantic here. Uh, if he's not, you know, if he's not having to sit there and address those questions and talk about that topic, um, maybe that doesn't come up in recruiting later on. Well, he, he did kind of allude to it. He said people's jobs are on the lines, and you're out there and you make that call. I mean, that just goes to show, I guess, the pressure that he feels. But that's just all that is. It's pressure. Pressure. It's a. It's a temper tra- tantrum. It's childish. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, maybe maybe it was a political move. Like you said, um, I, I don't know. I just I think it's I think it's a poor move, and you worry about leadership issues with the FSU program. Well, great example. Well, bottom line for me, Clemson won the game on the field. I mean, toe to toe, man to man, they won the game on the field, and that's all that matters to me. Guys, let's. I want to move on and and dig in a little further on this game. Before that, though, wanted to take a moment just to encourage everyone. Uh, maybe you're not always on social media during games or. Um, during the week, but I know you're out there, you know, reading Clemson articles and really encourage you to follow the podcast on our social media channels, Twitter and Facebook. We have pages there. Um, First of all, you know, if you're not necessarily using Twitter or you don't use it, tons of great content out there for following, you know, 
dozens of Clemson personalities. Um, you know, we have a couple thousand people listen to our shows every week, and um, not all you guys are following us on Twitter. So uh, just wanted to mention that we, we stay pretty active during games, after games, throughout the week. Um, you know, and there's a wealth of accounts out there that are, you know, putting good, good content online. So really encourage everyone to check that out. Um, as well, you know, we've seen our listener counts rise all season. That's got to be due to people spreading the word. So we do appreciate that. Um, if you haven't yet, please do subscribe to us um, through your favorite podcasting app. If you use a smartphone for listening to these shows, we also have our shows available for download on SoundCloud. Maybe you prefer to listen to it on a different device where you need to download it. Um, you can do that on soundcloud.com slash Clemson podcast. And uh, we appreciate the listens. Yeah, tell a friend, tell 10. You know, we, we, do, we definitely appreciate it. Also, just in general, consuming a lot of Clemson media right now is, is the thing to do. You know, if you're on your lunch break, uh, you know, you're going for a walk, whatever. Uh, listen, you know, obviously listen to our podcast. Check out TigerNet, though. We're working with them this year. A lot of great interviews post-game. Brent Venables is always my favorite. Um, he's either riled up and intense or he's really awkward. But either way, he'll, <laughs> he'll tell you how he feels. Um, but anyway, just a lot of great stuff, post-game stuff. Um, interviews with players, you you know, some of the guys on our team from Bulware to Christian Wilkins are great Clemson guys, great interviews. So check it out. Yeah, and it's it's not always about the X's and O's and the the about the game itself. It's about stuff off the field. TigerNet has really good articles getting to the personal lives, a lot of the players. It's really good insight. Um, I think everybody remembers uh, in the Louisville game where uh, this kid Logan was caught. Uh, he has cerebral palsy. He he, they caught him on camera standing up out of his wheelchair, cheering on the Tigers. Well, just read this on TigerNet. Turns out Seth Beer and Eric McLean wrote him a letter, invited him to lunch. So good stuff. Again, it's not just covering things that are on the field or that are necessarily about sports. It's about the type of young men, young women uh, that are Clemson athletes and part of the Clemson family. And you talk about just like supporting Clemson family, support local business, well, in a way, supporting Clemson people. It's like it's like a similar concept. It's Clemson people, you know, uh, that that run TigerNet. So you're you're kind of supporting you're supporting the Clemson family. Uh, well, guys, I want to start by talking about Clemson's offense here. Uh, clearly, I think that is the the most talked about aspect of our team. Um, a lot of expectations coming into this season, and. We saw, I think, what we've gotten all year from this offense, which is flashes of brilliance. They showed you at times that there's really almost no defense out there that can contain this team. But there were some other times of this game where there were self-inflicted wounds or maybe some moments of distraction that uh, cost this team from putting up more points on the board, pulling away from an opponent that they had on the ropes, and in general, um, just really living up to everyone's like very lofty expectations. But that being said, over 500 yards, 81 plays, you know, 37 points against a very stout, talented defense on the road in a hostile environment. Um, I hesitate to use a metaphor or a cliche as tired as Jekyll and Hyde, uh, but I feel like that that does sort of fit this offense. And you know, I can't help but wonder, you know, on some level, is there is there a reason for this? Is there something like cultural or in the DNA that? Um, there is a tendency to maybe you know go up early with a lead and not necessarily have that you know killer instinct to put a team away. Um, hate to say that without evidence or without you know that seems like I'm calling the team out. I'm not. I'm just wondering like why do you guys think this happens week in week out? For for Florida this game, I I do give Florida State. Yeah, granted we went eight drives without scoring and a lot of that was self inflicted, um, but not self inflicted. I mean. Potentially, I think is what I'm. You know, guess what I'm saying. Yeah, is it's it was them making great plays. It was Derek Nottie and Demarcus Walker on their defensive line getting a ton of penetration. Who are healthy now after two weeks off? Who are healthy and playing really hard, including Josh Sweat, who who's the other their other defensive end, former five star and amazing player. I, I from what I watched on film, it wasn't as much of a Jekyll Hyde as much as them just making great plays. Yeah, a little bit of uh, QT alluded to this. Some of the play calling, it's it's not creative, and I think maybe I, I wouldn't use the word creative. I guess what I would say is, it's it's not as uh, he's not Tony Elliott's not making adjustments to the adjustments that have already been uh, laid forth. The, the the book has been out up on us since uh, since the Alabama game on certain things that we like to do. Alabama had a great game plan. Teams this year have mimicked that, whether it be in jet sweeps and screen passes, or if it's um, 
I guess like underneath routes, they, they kind of know what we're doing. We're not making adjustments to that. And in a lot of cases, you saw a lot of batted down balls. But I, I, think, I think that does speak a lot to the lack of creativity because that means you're doing the same thing over and over again and you're not coming up with new stuff to stay ahead of the curve. I have the same argument. I think some of our first-time play calling, especially early in games, is not necessarily great. You see a lot of predictable runs up the middle that aren't going anywhere. I mean, thank, thank God for Wayne Gallman because if, if he wasn't the running back, if we had to rely on anybody else on this team, they would get stood up at the line of scrimmage. He somehow turns zero and one-yard gains into five or six yards every single time. Right, he's quietly becoming one of my favorite Clemson players of all time. You saw him a couple times just with nowhere to go, just standing and, 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 uh, and you know, chopping his feet. And then all of a sudden he finds a small crease and he, he takes it for 10 yards. Or sometimes you don't even see him. You just see the pile moving. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe to get off the Jekyll and Hyde commentary for a moment, you know, something that I do think is a somewhat valid criticism, though, and Dabo addressed this in his post-game comments, it has to do with red zone efficiency and finishing with touchdowns. Dabo took credit for going five of five in the red zone. We, we scored points on five trips into the red zone, but we did not score five touchdowns. And in my you know, limited football knowledge, I think a successful red zone trip is a touchdown. Would you guys agree? Not necessarily, because you're not going to score a touchdown every single time you go into the red zone. But if you score five out of five times every time you go in the red zone, now it depends on how that's broken up. If you're talking about four field goals and one touchdown, yeah, you might be well, disappointed sure. about that. If you're talking about three touchdowns and two field goals against a pretty good Florida State defense, I'll actually take it. I, all right, so one drive, for, an ex, for uh, I think our first red zone driver, we came up short and we kicked a field goal. There was first down, second down. Uh, Deshaun Watson throws two passes that are just way, way off, completely into the end zone. Nothing to do with play calling, completely on Deshaun Watson. Uh, nothing happens in a vacuum. These things all have context. Uh, what I'd like to see, what I, I wish we could, we could do, is find more uh, reliable uh, yardage in the run game. Uh, whether that be Art Tavis on uh, moving it through on a jet sweep, something horizontal, something. Let me tell you, in, in three, four years, Jordan Leggett's going to be in the NFL, and he's going to be doing big things. Mike Williams is going to be a number one receiver, and a lot of these guys on the offensive line are going to be in the NFL. And it doesn't matter how you slice it, we're going to be like, why we had trouble in the red zone when all these guys played at Clemson? Like, that's just the way I look at it. it so it's a matter of either execution or play calling that extracts that talent and turns it into four additional points. Well, and part of it is, I mean, th this is not in an offensive line that is good at getting a push in the run game. It's just not. Any chunk yardage play is squarely on Wayne Gallman. I mean, they're, they've been good in pass protection. Deshaun Watson doesn't get hit a lot. He got hit a good bit in this game. Um, and there were a few sacks. But again, a really good defensive front for Florida State. But for whatever reason, and I see us... <laughs> Is it just me, or do I see us running over the left side a lot more than I see on Tyrone Crowder's side? I, I can't say. It's tough. But um, I, not sure. Uh, it, it's tough for us. We're, we're not the, we don't have football backgrounds. We try to educate ourselves as much as we can. Safe to say for me, though, from what I've seen, the lack of adjustments or creativity, whatever you want to call it, that uh, Tony Elliott, I think he's great. I think he might be the next Clemson football coach, head coach, if, if Dabo were to you know, leave. I think he's, he's going to be a great offensive coordinator, but I think he's learning on the fly right now, and we're seeing him, we're seeing growing pains with some of his play calls, some of his, his strategies. And it's, you know, it is tricky, like, to take over from Chad Morris to helm a team with, you know, a top five defense a year ago, find yourself undefeated, find yourself going through, you know, the, the type of year we had last year, and to come in with all these expectations, your second year on the job. I mean, he really hasn't had the time to, like, make the mistakes of an offensive coordinator. I mean, it's been spotlight the entire time. And um, I, I mean, it, we're figuring it out. We're winning these games. We're putting up, again, we mentioned the yardage and the number of plays and points. Tough yeah, to argue well, with those it, results. It, and, but. and it has been getting better. I mean, again, turnovers and drop passes plagued the offense early on in the season. And none of that is on Tony Elliott. Absolutely. And another part, bigger thing, college football, is uh, there's a lot of adjustments in the last, I don't know, two, three years, where Oregon, if you go back to like, you know, 10 years ago, they were just running up the score. Baylor and previous years have ran up the score. I think Texas Tech in that air raid, P P defenses are now making adjustments. So this is the first, really, you're seeing adjustments being made, more um, faster linebackers, more nickel. I think, uh, I can't remember what Florida State calls it, but they do a similar concept. Faster guys, 
uh, adjusting to these hurt, well, no well, huddle, what, spread offenses. That's what Nick Saban's doing at Alabama. He made a comment the other day that Terrence Coatney wouldn't even start on he, his defensive line right now just because it's a different philosophy uh, on, on defense. Now, you're recruiting guys who are fast who are able to stop, uh, stop these offenses. So I think you're right in that respect, Cody. It's not – don't just necessarily peg it on Tony, Tony Elliott. Every offensive coordinator is going to have to find a way to compensate for – uh, the the counter that the defenses have now thrown at them. So let's see what he's able to do. He's 8-0 this year. Uh, they put over 500 yards in offense against Florida State. They scored 37 points. The last drive of the game was absolutely masterful. So I still well, feel I, good. I do want to talk about adjustments that we did see out of the coaching staff in this game. And um, this happened in the fourth quarter. So um, Florida State safety Trey Marshall was ejected for targeting. And up until that point, Let's take it through. First quarter, we scored 14 points. We went seven or eight consecutive drives, scoring two field goals. He gets, I think he had a personal foul penalty earlier in the game and then gets ejected for targeting. Um, after that point, Tony Elliott saw that and we attacked their secondary more. We moved it into the second level and um, Clemson scored 17 points You know, from that point on. And you can't tie that directly to Trey Marshall being out, but um, I, I feel like getting Jordan Leggett more involved, opening it up a bit. You know, there we did see that happen. So want to give credit here. Well, you know what else you're starting to see? And we mentioned this early on and in leading into the season. Uh, you know, we mentioned, we kind of forecasted what we expected to see. And that was when you have all these weapons at the skill positions, how do you guard them all? Well, now you're starting to see that. Artavis Scott... I think he had three catches on the game. He's not hugely involved. He's probably out there more to block. He's probably our best blocking wide receiver. Mike Williams is going to get his catches. But then all of a sudden, Jordan Leggett and Hunter Renfro are wide open on a lot of plays, and they're getting a lot of balls fed to them. It wasn't just Jordan Leggett who had a fantastic game. Hunter, Hunter, Renfro, Hunter Renfro means to this team. He catches everything throw, thrown his way. Low, high, in clutch situations to move the chains. And defense can only cover so many people. Yeah, we, we found I think we found some mismatches, especially in this game. And and by the way, just just because Tony Elliott is not you know is executing perfectly in play calling, and it doesn't mean he's not doing a good job. It's, he's a super intelligent guy, and I think again I think he'll be great in time. Uh, it's just like little nuances that you learn probably from experience that he hasn't picked up on yet. Um, I I think ultimately though I think Deshaun Watson going back to this effort, I think he was really good. He had two interceptions. I think he was really. Good. I, I, I don't. And I, I watched him run the ball. I think he had 17 carries. I don't know if you guys can yeah, uh, look that up. 17. 17 carries. So like an average, what we've seen from him is about 10 carries per game this year. When he fa- faced South Carolina last year, I think it was 19. When it went up to uh, went to play North Carolina, it was about 19. And then 20 and above against Oklahoma and Alabama. When the game matters more, he runs more, and it's it becomes we get we get numbers. We become a better team, and he's been masterful. Uh, one of my friends, when we were watching him run a, a QB draw, said he looks kind of awkward. I'm like, no, that's just how he always looks. He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not a great athlete. He just knows where the seams and where the creases are, and he can find them. And uh, I think it just adds an element to our offense. Um, you, you take away those two interceptions, he was he was great. I mean, well, it says a lot about a kid who has thrown some really head scratchers of interceptions this year, and you're like, what is going on? But for him to be able to bounce back and be that poised at the end of games, I mean, how many times has he disappointed us at the end of a game? Not that I can remember. Not going to but I think you're right. And, uh, I mean, he himself acknowledges it, too. He, he said both his picks were boneheaded plays completely on him, um, misreading coverages and maybe making some assumptions about what the defense was doing. You could say that they baited him into those throws, um, but in general, did not execute there. And again, thankfully, we're broken record here, but those mistakes did not end up costing this team. Through eight games, though, 10 interceptions is quite a lot. Well, and I think it's also compounded by the fact that a lot of them seem to be at very crucial situations in the game. The first interception was on our fourth drive of the game. We're up 14 to nothing. We had two opportunities to go up 21 to nothing early that really could have taken the wind out of the sails of Florida State and that crowd in the stadium. Throw the interception, they go down and score. Then we're up 20 to 14 in the middle of the third with a chance to go up two scores, and then we get that second interception. I mean, just very untimely interception. So, again, I think it compounds the fact that he does have 10 on the year, which is higher uh, than we had hoped. We would 
we hoped that he would improve on that from last year. It hasn't been the case, but you know what? Everything else he's doing is pretty damn excellent. Let me have a hot take. The deep ball. He's been ac- inaccurate. QT wrote about it. It's There's no faster way to sink your draft status than to the miss on these deep balls and be as inaccurate as he's been. There's truth to that. I'm wondering as a game for game planning if we should quit going to that altogether. When, when you plan a defense as good as Florida State where you only get three downs, like why waste one? I don't want to say you're – I mean, at this point it seems like we are wasting it. And I get it. In the vertical game, it's good to give them a look and keep some things honest. Deion Kane has connected on a few. But he's five yards over every time. And in my mind, he's he's doing that consistently enough where he's not giving his receiver a chance. I think there's something in his mind where he does not want to put his receiver in a position where the ball could be inter- intercepted. Well, no, that that's exactly what it is. I think that he, I think he's, he's, in control he's, he's afraid of, that. of throwing an yeah. interception. But that's the thing. His interceptions don't come on passes like that. You've got Deion Kane out there. You've got Mike Williams. You've got to give those guys an opportunity to go up and get the ball. Let them fight for the ball. They're in the best position as a receiver, knowing the ball's coming. They're usually behind uh, who's ever the secondary cornerback that, that's on them. And they're going to be able to – they're generally taller than, than anybody they're going up against in the secondary. So you have to give them the opportunity to go for the ball. I think it is that he's tentative. He's hesitant to throw an interception. interception and, and total keeps rising. I wonder if that's... But I, I totally disagree with you when you say that you think we should stop going to it. I think we should keep going to a, it. A build up his confidence. I, I think you have to keep doing that because when it's... That's something that when you get into a playoff game, if you have that part of the game polished to go along with all the other weapons we have on offense, that's, that's the thing that changes the game. That's what wins you the game. Six words. Syracuse, Pitt, Wake Forest, South Carolina. Get that right <laughs> in those four games. They're not, they don't have the talent that a Michigan has in the secondary, that a Washington has in a pass rush situation that is going to make throwing the deep ball like that pretty difficult. Still, you can hone your accuracy on those in these games. And let, let, let your guys go up and battle for the ball. Deion Kane, props to him. He's, he's catching the ball now. He's had a few big, deep uh, grabs here in the last several games. He's really come on after a shaky start to the season to become a reliable threat deep. As long as if Deshaun could just get the ball within his vicinity, I feel good about him catching it. Okay, so we are we we don't play murderers row of a schedule. Probably a good call. Let's let's give him a few more opportunities. Maybe to Mike Williams though. Maybe that's the solution. Mike Williams is not. He doesn't run the four three forty that Deion Kane probably runs. He might not even run a four five forty. But I feel like if you if you underthrow it a little bit to Mike Williams. He's a lot more likely to redirect like Newt Hopkins, box a guy out, and make that basketball high point catch, you know, than than as opposed to Deion Kane. And have we seen many double moves from our receivers either? I, you know, not questioning their route running, et cetera, but it's it seems like you saw different sort of receiver routes under a Chad Morris. And again, it's probably just different talent we're talking about here. Um, not similar. I mean, no, I mean, Taj Boyd had a, probably as good of a deep ball when you look at it at this point on the hole than, than Deshaun Watson did, or just as good. So, uh, anyway, when you, when you have Sammy and Nuke, I mean, <laughs> yeah, the, the talent level is almost comparable, even in the deep ball is comparable. So. Uh, Nuke would catch anything that came his way, though. Well, rounding out the offense probably looked like this, you know, throughout the course of the game to Clemson fans, but. Uh, we put up 6.3 yards per play, down from just over eight against Louisville. It did feel like we faced a, a stronger defense. Louisville may have, I, need, I haven't looked at the S&P defensive rankings recently, but um, the new life Florida State defense certainly um, felt a lot stronger than Louisville and made us, made us less productive and efficient. Um, Wayne Gallman, I think, put up near, nearly four yards per carry uh, so, but I, I do in general feel like the running game um, felt a little vanilla in this game and wasn't necessarily leading to sustained drives um, and didn't give us the balance that we really wanted. Uh, but again, there, you know, we point to the results. This team got it done in a hostile environment, and I don't know necessarily before the ACC title game if we'll really learn a lot more about this offense. I think these next four weeks, basically a quarter of our or a third of our season remaining, should serve to hopefully get guys rest. I think for me, that's the biggest priority. Um, cycling in guys in the O-line, knocking off, you know, the, you, I won't call it rust, I'll call it focus areas, um, will, be, will be essential. Probably the rest matters more on the defensive side, uh, but spelling guys in the O-line as well, 
I think is important. I beg to differ slightly. On the O-line, yes, but uh, at the other skill position groups, and I, I think we do have something to learn over these next three games against Syracuse, uh, four games uh, to finish out the regular season, Syracuse, Pitt, Wake Forest, and South Carolina. I think it's time to get in a groove on offense, and I, I really think it doesn't matter who you're playing. If you see these guys come out here, they're firing on all, cil- all cylinders. Uh, we take away some of the turnovers. You get the deep ball going. That confidence is going to build. And leading into an ACC championship game, which could feature North Carolina, if it does, you're going to have to score a lot of points to win that game. Yeah, I and I'd love to see us be in sync at that point. Early on the earlier on in the year, I thought we were trying to get too many guys onto the field, and there wasn't a lot of rhythm, wasn't a lot of chemistry developed. I think now these next few games continue to fine tune the offense, keep those starters in. Even if you get a big lead, keep them in in the third quarter. You can take them out then, get some other guys in. But I think these guys have to get used uh, get used to having a lot of success consistently. I think it starts. It put teams away. It starts in the run game. Like, don't make no mistake. We weren't great last year when when the offense hit his stride. It wasn't because Deshaun Watson was pinpoint accurate. He we were great because he was used in running situations. We we were great in that zone read. Uh, we could rely on the interior run game, interior blocking to get us four or five yards consistently. And a lot of that too, again, was Wayne Gallman. But I mean, how do you find consistency there against against bad teams? I don't know. Like, maybe it's just confidence. We saw a few um, zone reads, inside zone blocking from where the where Deshaun Watson reads the defensive end, and he did it masterfully. And he was he was amazing. He ran, you know, found 10, 15 yards, maybe more of that. And and Deshaun, let me say something about everyone's concern about Deshaun Watson getting hurt. And yeah, there's something to be said for you know limiting him a little bit. Dude's got great levels of self-preservation. He knows where guys are. Like unlike you know Francois, who we'll talk about in a few seconds. He knows where guys are. He knows where they're coming up. He knows when to get down and take that baseball slide. I have confidence in him to stay healthy. And I think in terms of hitting another stride in 2016, it's important that he gets back involved in the run game consistently. He's a lot more like Russell Wilson. I would equate DeAndre Francois more like an RG3 or possibly even a Cam who just takes hits. And (laughs) it's costing those guys. It's a little unfair to Francois. FSU's had a really bad offensive line all year. And in this particular game, they were facing probably the best defensive line they've seen all year. Yeah, well, definitely the best defensive line they've seen all year. Well, why don't we use that to transition to the defense? Um, something I'll say though, in terms of the overall outcome of this game, before we get to the defense, has to do just with Clemson in general having a huge edge in this game that I don't think always occurs to everyone to think about, and that was the field position game. Um, again. Hats off to the Tomahawk Nation guys, but um, so eloquently put it, Clemson actually um, started on average on its own 33-yard line for, for its drives in this game. Our special teams and the way the game played out, Florida State averaged at their 25, which is actually where kickoffs put you on average in college. And you know, if you think about that, that's eight yards you know, of a delta, over 14 drives in a game. That's about 112 yards of net field position difference, a three-point game, 110 yards difference, I mean, that could be it's a huge difference. Well, and, and they were driving down the field, too, so that actually says That a offsets lot about, some of their well, it is, big plays. And it says a lot about the offense uh, before we move to the defense. It does say a lot about our offense on being able to drive. They did drive down. Even if they didn't finish off drives, they got down. Teasdale had a couple punts inside the 20. So, again, it says a lot about the offense. But, yeah, I mean, I, I mean them having to drive the field – they didn't have a lot of big plays early on, and that helped, but it did help neutralize some of the other big plays in the second half because when you're starting on your 25, it's a lot different than starting on your 40, right? Yeah, and I think that ended up resulting in points. We talked about having five shots inside the red zone, um, resulting in, you know, unfortunately, a couple of field goals. But ultimately, I think that, um, you know, this I bring this up to say, I mean, coming into the year, one of the things we talked about was going to be a key was could Greg Hugel kick it into the end zone? Could we get touchbacks instead of, you know, back-breaking runs that give te- other teams short fields? Could Andy Tizal start to try to average in the 40-yard punt range? And I think both of, the, both of those things, including our coverage, have all improved this year. And whatever adjustments the coaches have made, as much as we were trashing them earlier this season or late last year, 
certainly after the natty, you got to give them credit for that. Yeah, I think it goes to kickoff return, that kickoff return unit. There's just some nasty guys. It's personnel. They, they have the right guys out there. Some like Jamie Skalski, as QT said, worth burning the red shirt just because he's, he's nasty. Uh, Dorian O'Daniel is amazing. Anyway, the right guys out there. And like you said, and like Bud Elliott said, that over the course of what 14 plays, that, that is your game. So that was, yeah, that's huge. Right. Well, on to the defense. Um, we've already said a ton this season about the the impact this this unit has. They're the heart and soul of this team right now, and that that begins for me up front. Um, all game long, it felt like they were making Francois's life a living hell, and you can chalk some of that up to Florida State's O line and the struggles they have had. But I, we we continue to see this against our opponents this year. Um, the the job they've done of reloading and really getting good rotations in there. I mean, we saw, uh, I need to look at the, the final sack numbers, but Austin Bryant getting into the backfield, getting his first sack of the season. Um, finally, good to see him back there. Um, I'm, I'm not going to rattle off all these all these guys' names. You guys watch the game. But um, for me, that was that was my main takeaway was even against, you know, four or five-star talent on the O-line from Florida State, I expected them to be a step up from our previous opponents. This D-line did not miss a beat. How unbelievable is it to say that this is probably our best defensive line of the last three years? That's great. And it, it's, it would be true. And let me go back to Bud Elliott. We, I mean, he does this for a living, so we can steal as much material as, as we can from him. <laughs> he compared Dexter Lawrence to Albert Hainsworth. He said he's that he's that good. And I think that's, that's a big part of it. And feeling comfortable to push Christian... With w- even better character. <laughs> I hope so. Pushing Christian Wilkins outside a strong side defensive end and feeling like you still had probably the best or one of the best uh, defensive tackle units in the country is because of Dexter Lawrence. He's just he's amazing. He can get uh, penetration on the quarterback. And then Christian Wilkins, he compared him to Mario Edwards. Um, it, it's kind of a blessing in disguise that he went down early with that injury because I, I, I would say he w- he's better at defensive tackle. I said that. Now I have to say that he's, he's just as good. He's an All-American at defensive end. And it you know, being able to have that kind of depth now defensive end gives us a, a net positive. One thing, I, I read a, a tweet about this earlier, and it's kind of occurred to me, Rashawn Gary is going to have to have a hell of a career to prove to us that Dexter Lawrence is not the number one recruit this last season. I, I think about that all the time, but I don't, I don't want to quite go there yet just because I feel like Gary's really good. And it's we fine, but I think we got give, we, we might give you three, four years of that. We would have been damn happy to have both of them, let's put it that way. <laughs> Um, well, of course. so back to the defensive line as a whole here, um, what they're able to do so well is with just three or four guys, they get so much pressure and they, even on plays where they're not necessarily have somebody breaking free to get back to the quarterback, the offensive line is always pushed three or four yards upfield. They're moving the pocket. They're flushing the quarterback out. When a quarterback can't sit back there, especially a young quarterback like, Fran- like Francois, when he can't sit back there, get his feet set and his timing right, it rushes him to making a pass or he throws one off balance. So, again, even when these guys weren't breaking loose, they were hugely disruptive in this game. And, and Francois, you know, he took the brunt of it. Uh, he got a lot of pressure on him. Uh, I, he had to be hurt at some point in the second half, and they didn't even do the con- concussion protocol, which was – he went out for a series. They had McGuire handing the ball off, and Stevenson, I think it was, uh, broke off a long run and set them up for a score, unfortunately. But, yeah, he came back into the game, though, and attempted the comeback. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you talk about the concussion protocol. I thought he took a lot of shots to the midsection more than anything else. I'm not sure they got hit in the head all that much. But, again, going back to what I mentioned, I mean, that's a really tough quarterback, and that's not going to be the last we see of him. He's a redshirt freshman. He's got at least two more years playing in that uniform. Or, yeah, or at least one. Uh, I don't see him going to the NFL next year. Probably not, yeah. He, I think he's around for two. Yeah, I mean, we, we did a great job getting pressure on him. I will say, let's, let's have hot takes and let's be a little negative for a second. A uh, little thing that he did exploit, and granted, we got pressure. Uh, he wasn't very accurate. But when he was, uh, there were some mismatches with their receivers. Their receivers are good. Some of those guys are four stars. Some even five star receivers, and you know, coming out of high school. But let me ask, there were some mismatches. You, yes, granted. But do you have to be that accurate when your receivers are able to draw PI calls all afternoon? All right. So back to the the officiating. Good point. Like you can argue all day as a Clemson fan about 
uh, about the refs get all the calls going their way. But when you're pass interfering, or when you're pass interfering on every single play, then the call shouldn't go against you. And that's what we did. Everything was very blatant. There's only one PI call where Fields was diving back alongside the receiver. Yeah, where, I thought he was interfered with more than the other way. Right. But there was one with Ryan Carter where it could have been a push-off 50-50, but on tape I caught saw it anyway. a couple ticky-tacky ones called, but it seems that we're growing a reputation in the secondary for committing pass interference. And when you have that reputation and you have all these other legitimate ones during the game, it's hard to complain because you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt. Maybe we are growing that reputation or maybe we're earning that reputation because Tankersley was, was really good last year. He got picked on a lot last year. He had great technique, great form. This year, I'm not seeing the same thing from him. He, he, he can't tur- he's not turning around and, and seeing the ball. He's being very handsy. Look, he got picked on defending the opposing team's second best receiver. Now he's drawing. Now, this isn't the NFL, though. I mean, it's, you know, he did a great job last year, and he didn't pass interfere, and this year he is. Still, it felt like a bend-but-don't-break performance from our secondary in terms of pass coverage. Um, don't recall us getting burned all that often through the air. That's not – the same cannot be said for on the ground. And Dalvin Cook, we mentioned Stevenson, all breaking off long runs, sometimes for touchdowns. Yes, there were multiple 20-plus yard pass plays. Um, a lot of those were ca- catch and runs, not necessarily deep balls through the air. Um, but I think on the big plays, what did you guys see there? Was that anything related to initial scheme breakdown? I think it's all scheme. In, in the first drive of the game, we went from them, or, uh, as we were defending, we sent six. We got that pressure on Francois. It took him completely out of field goal position. It was a brilliant call by Venables. They made an adjustment, and they hit Kermit Whitfield, I think, on the a few drives later in the flats on a, on a similar third and, and short. Maybe it was a little bit third in uh, distance. Point being, whenever we send linebackers, it leaves the flats open, and the book is out on us. Uh, but, but also, just when we don't send linebackers, we, Ben Bulware can't cover, man. He's, he, he saw him the hold on Izzo where he blatantly held Izzo. Um, it, and Dalvin Cook doesn't drop that ball. Right. Bulware's in coverage on that one. And I, and going, I mean, it's not to say that these are things that we can't overcome. Uh, it's just it's weaknesses that you know it's inherent in our team. Uh, there's there's some at, there's not the athleticism quite that there was last year. Uh, we we've done a good job in being more disciplined. And I think a better overall defense. But when you when you saw Van Smith uh, co- coming up on uh, in, uh, coming up on on Dalvin Cook, granted, there's no other running back like Dalvin Cook. Not there's not many others that will make that play. He. He just took a horrible angle, and the speed wasn't there. In coverage, Van Smith, speed's not quite there. Well, Wiggins had the same thing on, on, on bad angle on Cook's last TD. I mean, he's not the most fleet of foot guy. He hasn't bounced back from injury like we hoped he would. So you're right, we don't have the same athleticism, but let's not fail to recognize the fact that we were also without Jadar Johnson uh, for a lot of the game. I mean, talk about him. Talk about that interception that he had. He is one of the best guys in the secondary that we've had in a very long time that goes up and plays the ball and and gets the ball. That was an amazing interception. He's a ball hawk, I'll give you that. Does his absence, though, do you think any of those long runs get stopped if he's back there? Well, it was Van Smith that made the miss, and he's the other starter, so no. Um, It it sucked not having him in there, but that that had nothing to do with it. It was Van Smith on both of those Davin Cook runs. And. You know, I look ahead, I, I try to think about which teams might we match up with. Do they have the type of playmakers? I mean, Dalvin Cook, we've already talked about. He's, I'd say, probably number two best running back in the country behind Fournette. Um, in terms of going to the outside where we can be weak, if we get caught up on blocks, though, there's no other guy better in the nation. So that can't be replicated. That's the good news. That's just not, you're not, no other team's going to be able to do that. That being said, Alabama sure has talent in the running back position. Um, They've got you know faster playmakers this year than Derrick Henry a year ago. Um, should we match up with them in the playoff? Um, Washington's got some playmakers, not necessarily. I think their their athletic speed is a lot more present in their receiver core. Uh, but anyway, that's something that I don't necessarily know that you can't coach speed, right? And you can coach angles. Instinct is another thing, but you know those are, they're teaching moments. I just don't know in the final four games if there's anything you can do to to try to improve here. No, I, I totally agree. This is not an area where you can you can go into like your bag of tricks and, and, and play call your way out of this or skip, you know scheme your way out of this. 
it's an inherent, I guess, weakness, but it's one that's not necessarily one that we can't overcome when you consider our our front four, the pressure they get, and also just the, like you said, the angles and the instincts that guys like Boulware and Ryan Carter have, despite maybe some of their, you know, disadvantages and in, in, in athleticism. How good did Kendall Joseph play though? Right, he's he's been great this year. He this had whole an year. amazing game. It's it'll be good to get Adrian Baker back too. Yeah, to what? Um, where do, do you guys understand where he is in his his return? Uh, well, I think he probably could have been ready to go for this game, but uh, it's not a game that you bring a, a guy back in for this first game of the year. Now, getting to these last four games of the regular season, I think he's going to have a good opportunity to get back into the mix, and he could be a factor as early as the ACC championship game. Talk about a you know a guy that's uh, we were going to lean on, and he was a starter coming out of spring practice or going into spring practice. And so you think we'll see less of Ryan Carter and more Baker then? Or Ryan Carter will stay like a nickel safety type role, but less of Marcus Edmond of yeah. all people. Yeah, I mean that's that's just the way it goes. Uh, but yeah, or if they do some nickel stuff, I, I think Adrian Baker. Yeah, tough to say. I, I don't no, no telling what Venables will do. He's got a lot of things up his sleeve. We will see. Let's keep keep a close eye on him as we you know break down the action in the next few weeks. Um, guys, before we wrap on this Florida State game, I just want to talk about Greg Hugel and what a clutch performance he had, both in some tough spots with longer kicks, as well as nailing all the PATs. A year ago, that was not a given. Even earlier on this season, he had a few short misses. Um, but he continues to just improve and be very consistent. Um, really, you know, he's, he's had an excellent year as a sophomore and um, really appreciate having that consistency. Yeah. I still didn't think this season I was going to be very confident with him kicking anything 42-plus. But after that 46-yarder, I now am confident with him uh, being able to kick a long field goal. Not to mention he had a couple uh, tough ones from the right hash, including a 23-yarder. That I mean, that that's a tough angle to hit from. And he stepped up, knocked all three of them down. So 37-34 final. Uh, thankfully, this one did not go to OT like the last time we were in Tallahassee. Um, this is one of those that there's plenty of moments you can go back and critique. Ultimately, this team once again survived and advanced, got this win. Um, time, I mean, guys, I think, you know, we need to celebrate this one too as fans. Um, it's, it's so easy to be critical, but 8-0 on the precipice. We get the first college football playoff ranking coming out tomorrow. Um, we'll, t- we'll talk about all of our expectations for that here, but um, reach past your economy bottle of bourbon and grab that premium one you got and enjoy that because this, this was a big win. And, um, at, you know, I think we can't take these for granted this is our first one there in 10 years. I said it at the beginning of the episode, I think this was our most important win of the season. Louisville was at home, uh, NC State, uh, just, let's forget about that game. I think going on the road, facing the, the adversity, this is the most adversity we, we have faced all year. Um, biggest road game that we've had in a very long time, first win in Tallahassee in a decade. Uh, I know the ACC wasn't on the line. I know the college football playoff wasn't on the line. But I think what these kids went through to get down and come back and win that game is huge. We've now beaten two top 20 teams on the road, uh, including also the number five team in the nation. You know, Cody, you mentioned this, I think, last episode, maybe the episode before that. We talked about turnovers. Has this become who we are? Well, I'm wondering, is beating big teams in crucial moments, highly ranked teams, and coming back and winning tight games, is that who we are? Could be. We we're, we look great uh, in ter- when it ter- when it comes down to winning time those crucial moments. Look back two years. Let me be a fanboy homer for a second. What a, what a, a difference two years makes, and I think it, there really really is something to a culture or systemic or whatever you call it leadership that permeates down throughout you know your your players and and, and throughout. It. Two years ago, we, we were not going to win that game, uh, and we, we did everything we could to lose it, even though I, we, we were, I think we were better statistically the better team. This year, uh, I think we were statistically the, the worst team or the lesser team, and we still managed a way to pull it out by being more efficient, by making big plays and big moments. And well, that's, that's who, yeah, that is who we are to some, to some degree. Uh, I mean, it'll catch up to us if, if we don't you know, tighten some things up, but uh, in terms of winning a big game in Tallahassee at this point in the season – uh, it, we're in a great place. Well, we'll talk about the other teams that are right around us in the AP poll that'll probably jockey for playoff position. What Clemson is not this year is a team that flashes you with margin of victory. But we have played a gauntlet of a schedule. And compared to the other remaining unbeatens at the top of the country, 
our strength of record, our opponents' wins and winning percentage is the highest of all those undefeated teams. And that comes from having all those games that you mentioned, Ben. And again, continue to pile up the wins, win your games, win the tough ones. As long as you got, you know, one more point on that scoreboard at the end, that's what matters. And again, it's a culture of winning. I've questioned for a while here, does this coaching staff, does this team know how to play with a deficit? It's happened so seldom in the last two years that we had more than a touchdown deficit at any stage. Uh, but we saw both against Louisville and Florida State here, them finding the right play calls to Sean Watson, whatever it is, he got his laser focus back and hit throws and guys made catches. Um, I mean, we, we did not discuss yet that Jordan Leggett touchdown at the in the you know last two minutes of the game. Um, unbelievable play. You know, we're getting it not just from throws, but from these receivers too. So, or in his case, tight end. Um, so anyway, enough enough about the game. Um, incredible performance and uh, great stuff. We should be happy as Clemson fans. Yeah, no, this is not a close game to complain about. This was a, a fantastic win. Uh, this is good for the program leading into the last four games of the regular season and then heading into what is hopefully the college football playoff. On that note, let's move over to action that we saw around the country this weekend. Uh, number one, Alabama was off. Michigan took care of Michigan State. Uh, Michigan State came down and scored a touchdown on their first drive of that game. Um, and I think going in late, you know, Michigan State was trying to mount a comeback, but ultimately I think mismanaged uh, the end of that game. But largely, I mean, I, f I believe that um, Michigan, they showed you their playmakers on defense in this game. Michigan State is not who they were the last two to three years. They've graduated a lot of guys, um, and they're in a little bit of a retooling mode there. But, I mean, Michigan is by f is legitimate. Um, I don't know necessarily that their defense is otherworldly here. Let's see them play a really strong offense coming up but um, against Ohio State at the very least. But they're certainly going to be there in the conversation at the end of the year, even if they do suffer a loss. Well, the big question is, is when the uh, first college football playoff rankings come out tomorrow night, are they the number two team or are we? And I think the argument could easily be made that Clemson has a much better resume, much better wins, I already mentioned them earlier, and that we should legitimately be the number two team. Tough to say. You talk about executing, looking the part statistically, they, they are better Michigan, I mean, better at almost on every statistical level. And that's not to say that they had the better upside or that when Clemson's at its best – that they're not much better than Michigan because, in my opinion, I think they do have a much higher ceiling. But play in, play out, the Michigan has been the better team. Resume, you talk about resume, man, it's it's tough. I feel like the Big Ten is, is getting a lot of hype. I don't know if it's deserved, but that's another conversation for another day. Yeah, it's true. And I just I don't necessarily know that we have enough information about Michigan at this point. Um, they struggled to put up 14 points. They needed a big play at the very end to get – clear of Wisconsin um, and score their their last touchdown. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I, I do think Clemson's got the more impressive resume. Yes, Michigan's had some big margins of victory, some lopsided wins, but these are against, you know, the, the real dregs of the Big Ten, actually. And all those games are at home. Does, doesn't Michigan feel kind of like an Alabama light? Uh, poor man's Alabama, if you will? Uh, potentially. I mean... In the way that they're efficient... They're great yeah. coaching. But not necessarily not, a rock star quarterback, but game manager type. Right. Not exactly the, the big time playmakers, but great, you know, solid and great in the trenches. Yeah. I think for now, what Jim Harbaugh has done in his second year um, with the talent he had coming in off of um, Brady Hope's team and getting some of his guys in there initially, I think going forward, you're going to try to see him try to find his next Andrew Luck and try to be a passing first offense or at the very least good balance there. Uh, they're not quite there yet, but they're making the most of it um, on defense. Having BC's defensive coordinator come in there from a year ago. He had the number one D in the country a year ago. So, um, yeah, maybe that's like the surface level, you know, or easy narrative that they look like in Alabama. I'm only looking for easy narratives at this <laughs> point as a Clemson podcast. That's fair. Uh, Hardball on average stays at a place about four years. Uh, Before he gets tired of him. <laughs> he said yeah, it. potentially. Or moves on to a much better job. Would, what would you rather be, head coach in Michigan or the San Francisco 49ers? 
if by the way he's, he's making, making nine about, million yeah, he's making year. about the same amount of money <laughs> i think he's doing Even just more. fine yeah. I, think, I think he's liking where he's at right yeah. now he's made the right moves um and elsewhere in the country uh, interesting game out west uh we had washington going to utah come away with a single score victory um this one i think was closer on the scoreboard than it actually was watching that game uh, actually three of utah's scoring drives were made possible by um, plays where Washington's defense had unsportsmanlike conduct penalties to extend drives that Utah scored. So you could call that undisciplined. You could just say, well, um, that's not going to happen against a much bigger opponent than Utah. I'm not sure how legit Utah is either. But um, Washington, you know, that was going to be one of their biggest tests of the season, and they passed and they moved on. They'll have another tough one this Saturday out here in the Bay Area. They, they go to Cal. Um, Cal is definitely not, you know, a top tier program, but they can score points in a bunch. So I think we'll learn a little bit about Washington's defense against a high powered offense in that game. Washington is an interesting uh, one to watch. They're actually uh, the team that's kind of holding this top four all together right now, because if they go down, then all of a sudden it kind of goes into chaos and you're starting to talk about possibly a two loss team making it into the playoffs. So it's been, it's, it's very interesting to see how Washington is going to keep playing. If, if Washington does uh, assume that, I guess, fourth spot, and maybe, maybe they even get into third or second, I, I doubt it. But uh, it's, it's a, the, the four playoff teams are firmly entrenched, though, wouldn't you guys say? I mean, assuming Michigan wins out, and then, then there's no guarantee there because Ohio State could quickly beat them and leapfrog them. But uh, it, it feels like the playoff picture is very solid. And, and even whether you want to say Michigan's two, Michigan's three, Clemson's two, three, it, it seems like Alabama won. Clemson two or three, Michigan two or three, and then Washington. Hot homerific take tomorrow night. Clemson's your number one. They did that last year, but I, I can't see how they would leapfrog Alabama. QT said it too. Uh, you can talk about strength of schedule all day. Alabama has been the better team. Well, play D- in play. Rad's on the committee, so that aside, he, has, he has to lead the room. I, I mean, it's, it's not. It's not. <laughs> listen, when you would. When we first brought this up earlier tonight before we started recording, I'm thinking you guys are ridiculous. But when you do think about the resume that Clemson has and the strength of schedule, I mean, it's better than anybody else in the top four. Alabama's big test against a ranked opponent was at home against A&M. They won that game. They won it single digits. Um, Clemson's put up much more impressive wins, two of which on the road. Yeah, Alabama went into Tennessee, but they just lost the Gamecocks. Yeah, that's a that's a that team's fading quickly and injuries and and Alabama played that same hobbled Tennessee team that that South Carolina did. And there's plenty of time. Look, we all know you know the world loves them, some Alabama in the college football world. There's time to move them up. They're gonna play Auburn. They're gonna play LSU. They do have that common opponent with us, that, right? Yeah. We'll but, see how that plays but can out. Can you really argue with Alabama being being number one? They're my number one. I think Clemson will be number one tomorrow night. That's fi- that's fair. I disagree. I, I just. Can't see how they can go against Alabama with the year they've had. You talk all day about the opponent's strength of schedule, and I, I would agree with that, but I just think they've been better uh, statistically. I test. God, I know you hate that, Tully, but I think they've been better. Well, we will see. Uh, oh, w- one last thing. Our upside, our ceiling, Louisville uh, against Florida State at times, uh, our ceiling on offense is better than anyone's in the, any, any contender in the country's. And our defense is elite. Our ceiling's there. I just don't know if we can get to it. We can get to that 98th percentile that we need to get to. Um, and for four straight quarters. And for four I think straight that's, quarters. that's the biggest question mark. We know we've got that gear. We know we have that ceiling. What is what is it going to take for this team to find find the right combination to get that for four quarters? Maybe it is being in the right, right scene and right moment. These guys have all, almost the entire team went to – the national championship. They were all there. They had that, that atmosphere, that experience. You know, when you're winners, like sometimes you need that gear or be in that environment to find that gear. And let's hope they can get to that level and we can we can proceed. Well, when you talk about offense, we've already played the best defense we're going to see all year unless we play Alabama and probably the Auburn defense. Um, and then as a defense, the only legitimately high-powered offense left on our schedule is possibly North Carolina in the ACC championship game. But if Virginia Tech makes it in, which I think they've got 
the advantage right now, then we're not even looking at a high-powered offense there. So then you turn your sights to maybe if we somehow get matched up against Washington. So I think the best offense we played, clearly in Louisville, that's behind us. The best defense we played, except if we play Alabama, behind us. And you can only, you could say, yeah, definitely the best offense is Louisville. Uh, no argument there. Uh, some of the things that FSU threw at us through with, with DeAndre Francois and Dalvin Cook uh, are, are things that other teams can't replicate. We faced the best running back we played all year. I mean, I, I'll say Michigan's got the best defense in the country, statistically. So, Bama's Bama. They're phenomenal. They got the yeah, talent. Yeah, when we played Boston College, they had the number one defense in the country, statistically. But we dropped 56. Yeah, who needs statistics, man? <laughs> Throw them out the window. Yeah. All I'm saying, they're tough. But um, moving on from the playoff contenders, yeah, in the Coastal right now, it is a two-horse race. It's Virginia Tech. It is North Carolina. Uh, Virginia Tech right now holds a tiebreaker head-to-head against UNC, uh, but all it takes is them to slip up. We looked ahead at their remaining schedule. Uh, They've got UVA in their rivalry game at the end of the year, and then they both play Duke and, I believe, Georgia Tech, um, whereas UNC has NC State, Duke, and Georgia Tech. So, um, yeah, I think this one's going to go chalk. I think both those teams will win win out in, in the Coastal and will play the Hokies. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, somewhat downtime, our next three to four weeks, I'm going to watch, keep an eye on them, you know, try to scout as much as possible what we get from Virginia Tech. Although, you know, like we can take from the NC state game, can't take anything for granted right now. Yeah. There's not a lot of transitive property. Yeah, for sure. In our remaining games, you know, Pitt has a very capable defense. Um, Syracuse beat Virginia Tech. They can put up points, um, put up points. So I, of course, you know, playing at these is, course is always weird. Treat these as, as the coaching staff will. These are very important games and um, also learning opportunities. It's safe to say uh, we didn't see the, co- the coastal opponent being so formidable, I guess you could say, whether that be UNC or, or Virginia Tech. Uh, I don't know. I, I thought the, the, the worst, the best of the worst would emerge, and I don't think that's been the case. I think there's going to be a quality team. Yeah, and that goes to the coaching turnover that happened in that side of the league. Um, you've got Justin Fuente leading the, the Hokies. Granted, a lot of the same concepts and entire defense is the same with uh, Bud Foster over there. But uh, And UNC just keeps chug- plugging away um, yeah, under I mean, I Fedora. Can, I can now watch the ACC Coastal and not fall asleep by half, at halftime. So. Depends what game you're watching. But yeah. um, good stuff there. And hey, as is custom, Ben... Break us down that Gamecock game. I would like to say congratulations to South Carolina for uh, beating Tennessee 24-21 to at home. Tennessee is not a good football team. I will, pre- <laughs> <laughs> I will say that, but they are a better and more talented team than South Carolina. I, that's a big win for South Carolina. That's a big win for Will Muschamp. I never would have thought they'd be able to pull off a win like that this year, and I think that does provide them with a lot of momentum. Again, I don't. Tennessee is not good. They're battered by injuries. It seems like there's a lot of fallout that maybe uh, 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 the players aren't really sticking with. But uh, yeah, Jalen Hurd announced he's yeah. transferring today. Yeah. Um, but going back to South Carolina, I remember talking to Stephen Godfrey from SB Nation about this. Kurt Roper, this is his second tour of duty with uh, Will Muschamp. He's their OC there, and he said it wouldn't be that long before they figured out their offense, and it seems like they've got their quarterback of the future here, or at the very least, a guy that's pretty capable. Um, I don't expect the type of fight that we've seen in recent years from the Gamecocks when we play, but that's definitely, they've got the right OC, I think. So, guys, that's all the time we had for today. I want to thank you for sticking with us to this point. Once more... Subscribe to us on your podcasting app. Check us out. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And as always, go Tigers. What I told them tonight was, listen, we give you scholarships. We give you, uh, you know, stipends and meals and a place to live. We give you nice uniforms. I can't give you guts and I can't give you heart. And tonight, hey, it was BYOG, bring your own guts. And they brought some guts and some heart. And